I'm gonna pray again for the message. Father, we thank you that your word is like a fire that shatters rocks, has the anointing on it. Jesus said, the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. I pray that life would transact in our hearts today, that the fire of God through the word would shift and change the atmosphere. Lord, I thank you that when the witch's paddle was taking place, the church was there to shift the atmosphere of the curse. We thank you that, that, Lord, when you shake the nations of the earth, salvation is on your mind. We thank you that even in darkness, God, when things are shaking, you're looking for souls to come into the kingdom. And we just say more upon more. We just say those that go out to paddle will encounter the Holy Spirit on the waters. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for this word today. Amen. Um, how many of you felt like you've lost a few battles? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it could be due to unbelief. It could be um, due to, you, you know, your delay, that you've not followed the Lord quickly in what he's asked. It could be that there's been a faithfulness lapse in your walk. Um, I know I've been there in the past, and some of you have been there. Um, I want to ask the question, what does it really take to move past your limiting beliefs and your past failures into the land of promise? We're in the book of Joshua. I'll be in Joshua chapter two today. And I've entitled the message, what I entitle it? Um, I entitled it, um, The Devil's a Defeated Foe, But You Must Believe It. The Devil's a Defeated Foe, But You Must Believe It. And... Um, I, I tell you, God's covenant faithfulness, his goodness, and his mercy is pervasive. And there is nothing that can stop you from advancing into the fullness of the reason Christ Jesus laid a hold of your life. And when Christ Jesus lays a hold of us, it's a firm grip that neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor anything in all of created order can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ. And I feel like the message today is to encourage you that no matter what we see of darkness on the earth, God has a plan behind the scenes. Your eyes are not to focus on what the enemy is doing, but what God is doing behind the scenes that is redemptive in nature. If we focus on what the enemy is doing, we empower it. But if we see what God is doing, we walk in victory. So important that our perspective... And I just tell you that his, his mercy is, and his goodness and his compassion and the power of what Jesus accomplished on the cross can touch the darkest heart and the most hopeless of situations. And his kingdom is advancing and the gates of hell will not prevail against the advance of the kingdom of heaven. So... I want to start by reading Joshua chapter two. I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read all of it, give you a little background on it. I'll start in verse one. We'll read the entire chapter. So let's, let's listen to the word. Um, if you're not familiar with just listening, some of us are visual, we see things, but I want you to hear it afresh. So Lord, let something fresh jump out of the scripture as we hear it today. And we thank you that there are principles in here for us to take away as a house, as a city, as a region. Joshua 2 verse 1, I'm in the New King James. 
Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to secretly spy, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who've come to you who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the country. Verse four, then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut. When it was dark, the men went out. And where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax, which she'd laid out in, in order on the roof. That was how they got their clothing material. They dried the flax and later um, split off fibers. When the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the forts, and as soon as those who pursued them went out, they, were, they shut the gate. Now we enter a conflict here. The enemy knows they're in the land. Now they lay down, and she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord, Yahweh, she's using the divine name, dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two other kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, the kings Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage at anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven and above, above and on the earth. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show kindness, the word is said, it's the covenantal love of the Lord, to my father's house and give me a token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that ha they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, by the way, there's no question whether it will happen, that when the Lord has given us the land, we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get up to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours which you've made to us swear unless when we come to the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you've let us down. Uh, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if our hand is laid on them. And if you tell this business of ours, then we are free from your oath which you made us swear. 
Then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. By the way, what color is the blood of Christ? Scarlet. They departed and went to the mountains and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all of the land into our hands. For indeed, the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. So I'm going to kind of unpack this with some observations according to the outline of the text. It starts with Joshua commissioning them to go spy out the land. Um, by the way, um, the question is not if the Lord would take the land, but I want you to spy it out. It was kind of like a military preparation. And then the report comes back that they've spied out the land. And here's the only military strategy they got. They're faint-hearted and they realize they're already defeated. And then we have the conflict, the spies are discovered, and who's gonna rescue the spies? Rahab comes to the rescue. And then we see Rahab saying, spare me, and she has them swear an oath, so now Rahab is saved. So the spies are saved, Rahab is saved, and in the middle is this astounding confession of faith in Yahweh, the Lord who saves. It's the center of the story. It's the point. In the midst of judgment, God is going to save those who have a heart to see him. This is a harlot. This is the Canaanites. These are the enemies. By the way, why do you think Jesus healed a Canaanite's woman in Matthew 15? Because no one is beyond the reach of the Lord's hand who's mighty to save. So the center of the story is actually her her faith. But I want to make some observations here in a minute. I want to just give you the background because a lot of us struggle with like, okay, um, why are they taking the land and why are they destroying people? Like, is Jesus and the gospel different than this? Well, here's, here's what happened. God said to Abraham, he called him out of Ur of Chaldea, which later became Babylon and said, I'm sending you to a land that I will show you and it will be a land in perpetuity. The promise in Genesis 12, 15, and 18 was, I'm giving you and your descendants and all of those that follow you a land. It's a territory. And uh, I will reign as king there. I will be your God. And whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you. And it's a perpetual covenant. It's, it's called the Palestinian covenant. I will give you the land of Palestine. He takes Abraham up and says, look, to, uh, he's on the ridge of the mountains just by Bethel. He looks there and he says, look, as far as you can see, all of this territory I've given to you, it's a perpetual covenant. And later he outlines what that territory is for the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev to the south, Lebanon to the north and east into Syria and that area of Ammonites, etc. Um, and that is the territory that's been assigned to Israel and it's then reaffirmed to Isaac and Jacob and that God says to Abraham, you are going to be sojourning going down to Egypt for 400 years because the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. What that means is I cannot judge the land because they have not reached the point yet where judgment is inevitable like in the days of Noah. 
And so I am giving them 400 years. It turned out to be 430 years to the day from when they left uh, Egypt that, uh, you know, from the decree to Abraham that they had waited until they came into the land. And God gave literally 10 generations an opportunity to repent and to come into salvation. Canaan, just so you know, Shem, Ham, Japheth, in the table uh, when the three sons, one of them cursed their dad by laughing, and it said, cursed is Ham and Canaan, the offspring, because of the defilement, they have mocked the anointing of my people. And as a result, they became a people that settled in that ridge country of the Judean and uh, the Sumerian hillside, and God said to Abraham, that's your territory. It's a perpetual covenant for all of time. Um, so that's the backdrop there. And what's interesting about this is the, ter- the language is not to utterly destroy, but it is to dispossess the enemy and repopulate it and recommission it into kingdom purposes where I rule as king. The only three cities that were destroyed were actually military outposts, Jai, Ai, and Hatsor in the north. Everyone else, in fact, it's very clear in Deuteronomy 20, there's rules of engagement for the Lord, which is, I want you to offer a covenant of peace that all who would receive me and who would agree to repent of their iniquity and would take shelter under my lordship, they shall be spared and they shall be saved. So actually, the rules of engagement is the enemies offered a peace plan when we come into his territory because God desires that all should be saved and none should perish. Interestingly, in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the 12, uh, actually, that's the 70, uh, when he sends them out in Luke 9, um, one one of the languages is, actually, it's in Luke 10, says, Speak peace, enter their homes and speak peace. And if a man of peace is there, let your blessing reside on the house. But if a man of peace is not there, let it return to you. And then do the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, etc. And announce the kingdom of heaven has come. They still have a time to repent. But if they will not receive you and the city will not, shake off the dust as a testimony against them. So actually what's happening, I want you to hear um, God, because God is righteous, it's about he will judge evil. However, in the midst of that agenda, he will offer a peace plan who is in the Prince of Peace, who's Jesus Christ. Joshua is a prefiguration of Christ. Yeshua is the Old Testament name of Jesus in the New Testament. Joshua, Moses brought them out of bondage through repentance in the Red Sea. He was a type of John the Baptist, also a type of Christ. And Joshua, the prefiguration of Jesus, brought them into the promises of God. And in that, there's an offer of peace. And so Rahab is going to seal, she's going to seize that offer. This is actually important because we have this mindset that God wants to squish the enemies. But actually, um, God wants to bring those that don't know him into salvation. 
And the judgment is the fear of the Lord and they have a choice. Will they resist or will they turn? And Rahab made a good choice. She turned. So, by the way, this pattern's been modeled throughout scripture. In the time of Lot, the righteous, Lot and his daughters, were allowed to come out. But the wife who looked back was turned into a pillar of salt. In the days of Noah, Noah was righteous, and he and his household were saved through an ark, which is also a picture of the prefiguration of Christ because the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat, the 17th of Nisan, which is the day that Christ rose from the dead. And the olive branch was the sign of the Prince of Peace would spare from judgment. So it's all about an offer to the world who's under judgment because of sin of waiting, 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 and an offer of peace, an extending of an olive branch, will you receive Christ? And if so, you're grafted in. Rahab, in case you don't know, is grafted into the the lineage of Jesus. She marries Solomon, who's the father of Boaz, who's in the Davidic line, and all the way down, and twice in the New Testament, she's affirmed as a woman of faith because she, she broke allegiance with the Canaanites and said, I will find shelter in the most high. By the way, did she lie? Or did she already had she already changed her allegiance? The fact that she had said Yahweh tells me she'd already met the personal God. She'd made a determination, Yahweh is the savior, and if I get an opportunity, I'm going there. And so when the men came in the city, she'd made that determination. She already changed allegiance through repentance. And basically said, your God is my God. He's the God of heaven and earth. And I am yielding to him. I'm going to shelter you as a sign that I've made that commitment. Now will you shelter me? In rules of war, it's treason if you give away those you're in allegiance with. So actually, she was already under the government of God. Because you wrestle like as, as a lie condoned. But the New Testament's comment is of faith. Interestingly, when it recounts in Hebrews 11, those of faith, it never says Joshua. It talks about Rahab's faith. Is that astounding or what? Because Jesus is the answer. Joshua's the prefigure, and he lists all the people that look forward and put their faith in Jesus like the scarlet cord and said, I will find shelter in that place. So, this is helpful when we see an invasion into enemy territory is to realize that God is judging the sin of the land and it's not wipe them out, all of them, like in Star Wars, wipe them out, all of them. (laughs) Have you ever seen a Jedi before? And it's like, well, no. uh, The Holy Spirit, like totally. Um, But here, (laughs) I can't believe I went there. I did that for (laughs) Peter Sternholm. I did it for you, bro. Uh, <laughs> He's a total Star Wars guy. Uh, that, that's good. Um, <laughs> it's not a it's not a godly movie. The Star Wars. It's it's based in Eastern religion. So, but whatever. Um, <laughs> do you know why Jesus came? He came to reveal the Father and to destroy the works of the devil. And his command is, 
Go, baptizing the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, preaching to them the kingdom gospel that I am mighty to save. It has come in my person and announce the kingdom has come to them. Go and do the same and teach them to obey all I've told you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. So the message is Jesus has come to save. This is what happens in judgments. I want us to look at this. God wants to save America, not judge it. God wants to save the Palestinians, not judge them. God wants to save the Middle East, not judge them. I mean, where, where do I go? You know, it's just like, think of anything. He is tearing down evil structures and dispossessing them. The language in Joshua 1 was, dispossess the enemy and take it under God's kingdom rule. It did not say wipe out the people, but dispossess the enemy structures and the structures of evil and those that make peace will, will you will serve in the kingdom. That's the promise that God gave them in this command as they went into the land. Rahab's the only one that took up the offer in Jericho. No one else did. I just need to pray into that for just a minute. Father, I thank you that... Um, I thank you, Lord, that you are about saving individuals right now. You're saving cities. You're saving nations. And while there's a shaking, Lord, I pray that the fear of the Lord would be obvious and present. I pray that the fear of the Lord would come and fall in our city and that the enemy would realize their days are numbered. And just like we heard testified on Chatfield Reservoir here that Godly paddlers and evangelists can flip the curses of evil structures and some weep and meet Jesus, do it. We pray for the power of God to come, the fear that people will hear what God is doing through his people, that he is mighty to save, that he's delivering them from bondage, that he's saving marriages, he's rescuing families. He is, he is coming not just to squish and wipe out, but to offer an olive branch of peace. And it's it, it, that all, no matter who they are, harlots, witches, people of all sizes and situations, nothing is beyond the redeeming power and grace of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you are about to move in our region and that as things shake and structures of evil come down, the loss will come crashing in. I pray it will be like the Welsh revival that when the miners said, honey, what are they doing? They're worshiping at 3M. Come on, we're going to church. And the fear of God and the power of the spirit fell in those meetings. And they, they crashed in and said, what must we do to be saved? Lord, just like Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit came and they heard the language in their own native language. Lord, thank you that the coming of the birthing of the church was with the language of salvation, praising God for the nations to hear. That's actually what's happening with the establishment of the church. It's about saving. And we thank you, Father, that you are moving with mighty power and you're moving to save right now in Jesus' name. By the way, Remy, the, the Sylvia that I thought you had in mind, there's two in the house, is, is three people behind you, so you can give the word to Sylvia when you're finished. 
Yeah, there was a word for us, Sylvia, and you weren't in the house, so it's awesome. Do you feel, the, do you feel what's at stake here? They're about to take the land, and we're getting, you know who the first person that they met in the land was a Canaanite harlot who gave her life to Yahweh. If that's not a picture of what's happening in Joshua. So Lord, we thank you for that, and we bless what you're doing. Okay. Look. Excuse me. Somewhere there it is. Um, I want to give two more things of background and then some observations on the text. We're still in Joshua 2. When they were in the wilderness, what happened is they failed the Lord 10 times. They grumbled against it. They grumbled for food. They grumbled against water. They were afraid to go in and take the land. They sent out 12 spies and only two came back with a positive report saying, our God is able, he'll give us the land. The other 10 said, there's giants in the land. There's walled cities, we can't take it. And in addition, when Balaam tried to curse the nation, what happened is he, he gave permission and a curse that they would fall in sexual immorality with the women of Moab. And do you know where they did that? In the Acacia Grove. That's where they were camped. That's where this camp currently is as they're waiting to cross the land. Here's what's happening. God is giving the opportunity. This phone is still ringing. Give me a second. How do I stop it? There we go. Stopped it. Um, Yeah. Do you realize the language is they laid down in the house of the harlot, but they did not commit sexual immorality. Two spies go in and they give a positive report. God is giving the opportunity to redeem what was lost in the wilderness. They failed in those two areas. And guess what? They're going to rewrite history with a positive response in the now. Let's hang on to that thought. So here's some observations. Observation number one, trusting in God's promises and waiting for him to speak does not imply we idly sit by waiting for him to do his work. Remember in Joshua 1, it says, go in and take the land. You're gonna cross this Jordan in three days, therefore prepare. So Joshua's got the people preparing and how he's preparing is he sending in spies who are gonna be in the land for three days because on the third day, on the four, by the way, what happens on the third day? <laughs> it's kind of interesting how God does things. There's gonna be a crossing from, if you will, the wilderness into life through the valley of descent. There's gonna be a coming into the promises on the third day. So for three days, the men are in hiding and and yet what happened is the fact that Joshua's making preparations, this was actually a work of faith because God said, prepare for in three days you're crossing the land. So when God gives us a word, we respond in obedience. So he's 100% dependent on the Lord, but he's responsive with his actions in terms of what is available as his resource. Is that making sense? 
when God speaks and tells us what to do, we are fully submitted. It's his battle, it's his outcome, it's what he does, it's him, but we are responsive to what he's asked us to do. And, and Joshua's doing that, so he's actually moving in faith by sending the spies in. Now he does it secretly that rather than publicly because he has wisdom this time, realizing that we don't want a public scandal of all the people wailing and disbelieving this time, so we're going to let those who have a heart for, the, for Yahweh are gonna come back in faith. And so he, he, he does it this way, but he's not idle. So the principle I wanna state is this, divine commission and promise still requires our responsive obedience. Now we don't do it in our own strength, we do it in his, but we must respond when the Lord speaks and sends us forth. Does that make sense? So they, the guys that said, we felt called to go to Chatfield, we felt like the Lord spoke to us, absolutely. Their responsiveness put them there and then God moves sovereignly on their behalf to accomplish a work. It wasn't them, it was the Lord. But they'd never have had that opportunity if they'd not responded to what the Lord spoke. Is this, you see the connection here. So what's the balance between um, waiting for God and taking personal steps? And is there a distinction between idle trust and active cooperation? There's three kinds of errors. Moving ahead without seeking God and believing up to us to make it happen is a wrong choice. Saul demonstrated that in his history. Hearing God, knowing what he said, and getting impatient with the process or not doing exactly what he said also is a problem. And lastly, hearing God and sitting around saying, okay, Lord, I guess we're going in in three days. Let's have at it. You do, you do your thing, and we'll just sit around and wait for it to happen. No, actually, responsive obedience was necessary. So Father, I thank you that you're causing the church right now to rise up in responsive obedience to what you're doing. Observation number two. The spies were asked not to discover if they could conquer the land, but to view the land in preparation for entering it. That's really important. View the land. And it may have been a wise military strategy to see what the enemy's up to, but here's, the, here's what actually happens. God flips it and says, I'm not going to show you what the enemy's doing. I'm going to show you what I'm doing. I have already gone in advance of you. They are trembling in fear. The battle is mine. The battle has already been won. It's already given to you. As he said in chapter one, all you need to do is go take it. That's the best military strategy they need. They were given no instructions of what it looked like. Why? Because they need to depend fully on the Lord. They just had to go and they discovered God's at work. So I wanna just tell you, in all of your circumstantial opposition, Rather than focus on what the enemy's doing, I, I would have probably freaked out. They're gonna kill us. I mean, we had to hide out in this harlot's house and I, I mean, they're looking and the city's shut up and, and oh, the whole land is terrified and they'll be ready. They'll be in ambush as soon as we enter these cities. That would be focusing on what the enemy's doing. But instead, the Lord says, let me show you what I'm doing. I've already prepared people. I am gonna rescue you. I'm gonna save you and the land is already mine. So when we view the land, you might see what the enemy's doing, but you need to ask, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? There's your answer. 
God, what are you doing in the midst of my shaking and my adversity? Father, I just pray you give us those eyes. Observation number three. By taking little steps forward, we discover that God has already gone before us. Grace is released the moment we step into obedience. You did not, when you didn't, when you were offered the, the step of salvation, and some we watched today got baptized, took that step of obedience, it took your cooperation by saying, all right, I'll step in. And that active step is what demonstrates I've made the, I've made the transition, I've shifted. And so grace is released the moment obedience is happening. And they... We're going to see later as we go through Joshua that when they don't listen, grace is not released. But when we listen and we take the little steps as the Lord instructs, grace from heaven comes. So the Lord might say, I'm calling you to save so-and-so, the mayor of this city. Well, go for it. Grace is released in your obedience. There's a story, Ed Silvoso tells this, about an ice cream lady in Bangkok in Thailand who is using her ice cream stand to witness about Jesus. She gets saved, and she decides, everyone I talk to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give words of the kingdom, and I'm gonna lead. And the Lord says, because of your faithfulness to this ice cream lady who's just got a little, like, cart, right? I'm gonna have you speak to the president of the nation of Thailand. A couple years later, she gets to meet the president and share the Lord with the president of Thailand. This is the ice cream lady. Small steps lead to great victories and grace as we step forward. God can use little me. Observation number four. God was giving his people an opportunity to redeem their past failures. They'd committed sexual immorality. They'd wandered in unbelief. They'd sent in, you know, spies who gave bad report. And here's, here's what I want to say. It's part of the power of baptism. The old is dead in Christ and the new has come. We're no longer under law, but we're under grace. That which held us in our past Issues, our past even, even as believers, because these were already the Lord's people when they came out of Egypt, but they wandered in unbelief. But God is that committed that he gives an opportunity for them to walk in redemption and to redeem what was lost. And God looks at that and says, good report, laid down, same language, what do you do in scripture? You lay with somebody, but they didn't. They laid down, not with Rahab. It's meant to draw the parallel. They walked in righteousness, and as a result, they redeemed the past. So I just want to say, God right now is saying, it's time to be done with those past things that hang as a monkey around your neck and say, that's old season. I'm crossing my Jordan. I'm in a new place, and it will look different. And that declaration and that faith is your opportunity to see grace make that become a reality. Some of you have struggled with habitual issues, habitual sin, habitual unbelief, habitual issue, and God says all you need to do is take that step.
Thank you, Lord, that you're redeeming past, past issues. Observation number five. The enemy knows he's already lost the battle. That's good news for you and I. Now, it may be a skirmish. It may be messy. We still have a fight on our hands. We still may have to hide out in the flax on the roof. And we still may have to shiver in the cold for three days. However, it's a done deal. I think some of you need to grab that and say, that's mine. That's mine today. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's already won. Jesus is very clear. The victory is mine. Everything is under his feet. Every power, every principality, everything has been nailed to the cross with Christ. Everything has been done. All authority in heaven and earth is given to him. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And no dysfunction of my past shall come into my future. All things are made new. And devil, you're done. They have to believe it's their battle is won. That is the difference. They could not enter because they did not believe God was able. They entered because they believed God had it and God was able. Do you see the difference of when they couldn't enter and when they do enter? It's up to you and I to choose. I will believe the word of the Lord. We're almost done. Number six. I've said it several times, so I'll just highlight it. In the midst of judgment, God always offers salvation to those whom he has prepared. God always has redemptive purposes in mind. Thank you, Lord, that while shaking is occurring, the lost are going to crash in. Observation number seven, I've said this as well. Did Ahab lie or lie or she, had she already switched her allegiance through her faith to the Lord? I believe she had switched her allegiance to faith in the Lord. Father, I pray that you would do that sovereignly. What was the testimony we heard? Who had the, the dream of Jesus? What was the testimony? Was there someone had a vision of Jesus? The head witch. The witch with cancer had had a vision of Jesus. Hello? Like, (laughs) kind of not what you would expect. What if God is already going in advance and the harvest is actually ripe? And we get out of our judgment mindset and we get into our redemption mindset. (laughs) Jesus, save our city. Save our lost ones. Move. Let us not say this city's hard to be saved. Let us say Denver metropolitan area is ripe for the gospel, that the kingdom is advancing, that they will crash in as your presence is made known in our midst. And we thank you that they will hear of the church rising up in authority and in power. We thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. Number eight, my last observation. Though we might be in danger or fear of the unknown or placed in a hostile territory, God will move to protect you and bring absolute victory. We prayed for some of these coming out of the baptismal tank. 
Lord, make them fearless revivalists that will run into their generation with fire in their eyes, secure in their identity, with reckless abandon because they know their God is with them. Their identity is secure in Christ and they have the anchor of God's word and they will move with power and God will be with them. This is the mindset and that is what faith looks like and actually Joshua 2 shows Rahab having the faith. And fortunately our two spies had the same. How many want to enter your promises? I mean, this is it. Let's just kind of review. We've said divine commission and promise still requires our initiative and action after God speaks. Secondly, God has redemptive purposes in mind when his kingdom is advancing and he goes before you to defeat your enemies and there's also in the midst of that an opportunity to revisit your past failures and respond in faith and the power of the Lord rather than your weakness. Therefore, I will boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is in 2 Corinthians 12. For your grace is sufficient for me. There's a mindset. The grace of the Lord is sufficient. Let's stand. Let's, let's minister this. I want to just pray. For those on our online audience, um, those that are here, I feel like there's an impartation of courage. Do you feel the courage, the boldness, yeah. the resolve, the focus, the, um, I mean, here's your answer. Like the past does not define your future. The scarlet cord, the, the, the Joshua spirit, which is a picture of Christ has made all things new. And there is nothing you've accomplished, be it harlotry or whatever, that can oppose the kingdom taking hold of your life Hallelujah. and bringing you new. So the answer is, you're going to see later, Rahab and all her household is spared. The entire city, the entire wall collapses except for her house. There's a picture. So Father, I thank you that you are going to minister to your people, those listening right now, those here that you will move with power as they trust you in faith. Father, there are evil structures around them in their jobs, in their marketplace, in their neighborhoods, in their families, wherever you've set them, that are bowing to the mighty name of Jesus, that are coming under his lordship as his kingdom advances. And Lord, we declare we will be those people of faith who believe you at your word and we will advance fearlessly and boldly regardless of the fact that we do not know how it will be accomplished. Because we say yes to you and we will not presume on you, but we will respond as you speak. We thank you, Father, for this, this right now. And I pray for an impartation of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to cause your people to walk in the ways of the kingdom. May revival come to the Denver metro area, the front range, to Colorado, to our nation. Lord, in this time of shaking, we resolve to be the people of God who rise up with an answer, with third heaven answers to first heaven problems incited by second heaven witchcraft. We thank you that there's an advance on the church and we bless what you're doing in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's give him a hand.